Thanks for listening in today to our Friday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the book of Genesis. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. With that, let's go to Genesis chapter 49. We don't get through all of 49. There's a lot here. A lot of guys that, uh, you know, he's laying hands on to bless and all that. Um, but I want, to, I want us to understand how we got here. We, we got here uh, because as you go through the book of Genesis, it, it's, it's divided up into the very first 11 chapters from creation to the Tower of Babel. Um, and that kind of goes over the, the fall and the problem of the fall of mankind, of sin entering the world. Um, man's fall brings about a whirlwind of sin. We see this from Cain when he first murders Abel. Sin was rampant until we read that uh, mankind, that when it came to mankind, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow, that gets pretty bad. And so at that point, God decides to flood the world and he, he uh, fl- floods and kills all of mankind except for Noah and his family. They're on the, uh, the boat. And so when they get off the boat to this new uh, revamp of creation, Noah sins himself and his descendants continue to sin and they go on and build the Tower of Babel. And so in these first 11 chapters, we see all this sin that is rampant in the world, which brings about the reason for chapters 12 through 50. It's in chapters 12 through 50 that speaks of this blessing, this hope that is to come. We see the history of the nation of Israel begin. And this section opens up in chapter 12 with God calling a guy by name of Abram. And it all begins in chapter 12, verse 1, when we read, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so we have followed over the course of the last, you know, sometime year and a half or so from that point on. This blessing from Abraham that God gives Abram, who becomes Abraham, he passes it on to Isaac. This blessing of the seed who is to come that is going to be a blessing to the whole world that speaks of Jesus. Passes that on to Jacob. And so we see this continual blessing that is going to take place here in chapter 49 as he now blesses his son. All through this, we have seen divine intervention as we see these three matriarchs. We see Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. They all struggle with barrenness, which I believe is a foreshadowing of God's grace. God's grace towards these women as a foreshadowing of his gracious blessing to Mary in the Immaculate Conception, the miraculous birth of Jesus. So then to see God's blessing and grace and making a way in which all the families of the earth shall be blessed, God through the man Abraham, creating a nation 
that the Messiah would come from thus blessing the whole world. And so this blessing is going to continue his descendants. And from his descendants, the Messiah is going to come. Well, Abraham had his one descendant in the way of Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau, but that blessing is passed on to Jacob. Jacob now has 12 sons. He's going to pass off the blessing, but only one of his sons is going to have the blessing in the sense of where the Messiah is going to come from. And we get to see that here this morning. And so here in Genesis 49, Jacob's about to die. And so he calls his family to him so he can pass on this patriarchal blessing to his sons. And so we read here in verse 1 of chapter 49, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Jacob's sons begin being blessed with a calling. And the reason for this gathering was so that I may tell you what will befall you in the last days. And so Jacob, being moved by the Holy Spirit, is going to prophesy to them and show them the development of the course of history that is going to happen through these 12 tribes. This is a long-term prophecy being given to 12 sons, which is really 14 sons. Because if you recall last week, what is it that Jacob did with Joseph? He says, I am now taking your sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. I'm now adopting them. So now literally he has 14 sons, Jacob does. Now, by the time a census is taken in Numbers chapter 1, there is no tribe of Joseph. And now is the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph. So you have 14 sons. By time of Numbers, 14 sons is whittled down to 13 sons. But then in Numbers, we find out that Levi does not get an inheritance in the land. He's going to be scattered amongst his brethren. So now we're down to 12 tribes that are going to be allotted land that make up the nation of Israel. The last days that is being spoken of here is speaking of Israel. The last days of the nation is not speaking of the last days of the church. This is the last days of Israel as a nation. This is speaking of those that in two parts, the last days of the nation of Israel before the Messiah comes. And then it's also the last days of the nation before the Messiah comes again. In verse two, it says, gather together here, you sons of Jacob and listen to Israel, your father. Here you have again, Hebrew parallelism. We see this all through the, the book of Genesis and, and all through the old Testament. This is where you have two lines that are saying the same thing, but with different words. And so he says, here, you sons of Jacob, listen to Israel, your father. Well, Israel and Jacob are the same person. Hearing and listening is the same thing. You sons listen. Hey, listen to your father. So again, saying the same thing, different words. Here are five things we can take note of as we begin to see the listing of the sons. The first order of the sons is in a different order than the order that was given in Genesis at the end of 29 going into chapter 30. The first four names are the same, but then they're different. The order that we have here is that the first six sons of Leah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar. 
Those are the ones that are going to be blessed first. Then you have Bilhal's son, Dan. But then you have Zilpah's sons, Gad and Asher. And then you have Bilhal's other son, Naphtali. And then Rachel's sons, Joseph and Benjamin. That's the order that this takes place. Except for Zebulun, no specific location of the land that they're going to inherit is given. But for some reason with Zebulun, we're told that they're going to border Sidon. Interesting. Jacob's prophecies of the future for the sons are for them, not necessarily their locations, but kind of what they're going to become. Each son's character to some degree becomes the character of the future tribe, which is very interesting. And so here we have the first one, Reuben. Remember what the name Reuben means, behold, a son. You are my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power. Here we see Reuben's position is first given. This is all firstborn terminology. My firstborn, my might, beginning of my strength, meaning the first child of many that are going to come from Jacob, all firstborn terminology. Since Reuben is the firstborn, there are many blessings that come with that honor. The word excellency here, in the Hebrew, it's yeter. It means excellent or more. In other words, you're going to get double. You're going to have way more than the others because you're the firstborn. This speaks of preeminency over the other siblings, his other brothers. Reuben is preeminent. His preeminency of dignity, his preeminency of power over his siblings This was his right. This is what the firstborn is entitled to. Yet verse 4 tells us Reuben loses it all. This is what was before you. This, you being the firstborn, this was you. You had it all. But verse 4, you're unstable as water. You shall not excel. You're supposed to, but you will not. The word unstable is a Hebrew word, Pachaz, and it means recklessness, wantonness, unbridled licenseness, frothiness. I mean, kind of, I'm sorry, but when I have a beverage and it's frothy, I like that. <laughs> you know, we have this new Nespresso machine. It makes it all frothy. It's awesome. But that's not what it means here. This frothiness means like boiling over or overflowing of water, meaning you're, you're being shook and it, and it overflows. You're unstable. You're reckless. Water overflowing, boiling over, which speaks of his passions, his emotions, his lack of self-control. He was a man of unstable emotions, and it leads to the result of loss. Instead of blessing, there's going to be a curse. And you're not going to excel. Why? Because You went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Reuben's lack of self-control was with his father's concubine, Bilhah, having sex with her, Rachel's maidservant, the mother of his brothers, Dan and Naphtali. And that's recorded in Genesis 35, verse 22, that we've already been over. For Reuben, this majestic praise that begins in verse 3 leads to an ominous collapse in verse 4. And it's a collapse of his own doing. 
emphasizing that the responsibility one has to live up to one's calling. Yet because of Reuben's instability, his immorality, he will not excel. The tribe of Reuben never did excel. In the history of Israel, the tribe of Reuben never furnished a leader of any kind for the nation. No prophet, judge, or king ever came from the tribe of Reuben. Reuben is a great example of how the first will become last. In the very first census in Numbers 1, verse 20, Reuben is numbered at 46,500 fighting men. And then just 35 years later, the numbers decreased to 43,700 men. It seems like they're decreasing. It's interesting that when Moses, before he died, when he prayed over the tribe of Reuben, in Deuteronomy 33, verse 6, it says, Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few, which seems like the direction they were going. It would seem Moses had to intercede to make sure Reuben did not disappear altogether from Israel's history. I find this very interesting to me because he had a major calling and he was responsible to live up to that calling. It reminds me as believers in Jesus Christ what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. To have a walk worthy of the calling in which you were called. We've all been saved by grace. By God's tremendous mercy. Doing the work for us on the cross to pay for the penalty of sin. To be able to reach out. And take what God has provided for us. So that we become children of God. Having an inheritance incorruptible, the Bible says. To have a walk worthy of that calling of being called a child of God. Our name is Christian, is it? And do we have a walk worthy of the calling to be called Christian? Little Christ, followers of Christ, are we? You all have a calling from God, being a child of God. And we're exhorted by Paul to make sure that that walk is worthy of what God has made us in his son, Jesus, children of God, that get to spend eternity with him. And wouldn't it be wonderful for all of eternity that the things that we have done in Christ will follow us for all of eternity, as opposed to some not walking, worthy of the calling in which they were called. And when they get to heaven, there's going to be no legacy that they left behind. There's not going to be any great exploits that you've done in the name of Jesus Christ that follows you for all of eternity. And yet you're going to be in front of the Apostle Paul. You're going to see Job. You're going to have that conversation with Job. I think about this as being a pastor sometimes. With all that Job went through, I'm going to have to answer the question. Dave, Dave, how how did you suffer for Christ? Well, you know, there was a time I got an email. And, uh, really? You you know what I mean? How how have you suffered for Christ? When did you stand up and the persecution was there, but you still did what God has called you to do? Understand who we're going to be in front of. All these amazing patriarchs that we're reading about and the faith, the tremendous faith that they had. Remember your calling. 
You're a child of God. Make sure you have a walk worthy. A walk worthy. Then we get to Simeon and Levi. You get to Simeon and Levi here, and it says in verse 5, And Simeon and Levi are brothers. Remember, Simeon means he has heard me, and uh, uh, Levi means joined to. So this is, uh, they're named after because Leah uh, was the one that wasn't loved by Jacob. You know, he, his favorite was Rachel. And so as she cries out to the Lord, she's the first one to have a son. And so she goes, behold the son, hence Reuben. And then she continues to be unloved by Jacob. And she's thinking, certainly by having a son, he will now show me the affection that's due me. But it doesn't really happen. And then she has Simeon. Oh, he has heard me, meaning God. He has heard that I'm unloved. And then she has another son, Simeon, joined to certainly, and we went over this, but certainly he will be joined to me now, Jacob, okay, instead of wanting to spend most of his time with Rachel. And so these are how these children got their names. But it says about Simeon and Levi, instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel, let not my honor be united to their assembly, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Jacob chose to deal with Simeon and Levi together as brothers, most likely because they committed that same evil deed together. It was back in Genesis chapter 34. It was when all the men in Shechem and retaliation of the rape that they did with Dinah, that Shechem did with their sister Dinah, they killed them all. Instruments of cruelty, it says. Instruments of cruelty in their dwelling place. The word dwelling place in the Hebrew is mekarah, which means swords is what that means. So in other words, the instruments of their cruelty was in their swords, thus referring to their evil deed of killing all the men in Shechem with their swords when they are in their beds healing from their circumcision after making a covenant with Jacob. Shechem came to Jacob and the other brothers and they said, you know, I really do want to marry her. And they said that she can't marry a foreigner and, uh, and so unless you become like us, and they said, okay, what does that mean? He says, it means that you, all the men of Shechem have to be circumcised. And he said, okay, we'll do that. And then on that third day, when it was probably the most painful, and they're lying in their beds, that's when they went through the town with their swords and just killed every single male that there was in Shechem. The Bible often speaks of godly anger. Be angry and do not sin, Ephesians 4.26. This is an anger that, doesn't, that um, you make sure does, uh, that does not lead you to do a sinful action. You can be mad about something that goes on in the world, of injustice that happens, but it's not as though you're going to take out vengeance yourself, okay? And so it is, it is something, and uh, you give it over to the Lord, and you just make sure that the sin does not go down on your anger. But then there is, let all bitterness, wrath, anger be put away from you, according to Ephesians 4.31. The difference between a godly righteous anger and an ungodly anger usually is vengeance. You're now reacting out of your anger, and now in your reaction, you're now being sinful. That's usually vengeance, and that's the ungodly anger. Jacob wants to distance himself from their ungodly anger 
of what they have done, their violent ways. And so he says in verse six, let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united in their assembly. He said, I had nothing to do with that. They didn't consult me about what to do. And I wasn't part of that plan, nor do I ever want to be a part of any planning council or assembly they ever have is what he's saying here. He wants to make it clear that he did not have counsel with them and he had no, uh, he, he was not part of the decision of that wickedness. For in their anger, they slew a man and in their self-will, they hamstrung an ox. The first sin was that they slew a man in their anger. The word man is in the singular, but according to Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, he says it's being used collectively as a whole for all the men that they killed. The second sin was they hamstrung an ox. Again, in the singular, but used collectively. To hamstrung an ox means you cut its tendons so it could not be used for burdens, plowing a field and carrying things. And it was basically useless because now it's lame. This would have been a very, very cruel thing to do because over time, the animal wouldn't just be lame. It would eventually buckle under its own weight because it couldn't carry itself. They did this in order for anybody who comes across the scene in Shechem after this, it was a warning by Levi and Simeon, don't mess with us, that our cruelty will even go further than just the men who were responsible. It was one man that was responsible. And they took it out on all the men. And if that wasn't enough, we even hamstrung, made lame their beasts of burden. So those coming across this horrific scene would be able to see they even did these to the animals. Wow. Wow. He says, I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Never again will Simeon and Levi ever be united in doing anything together. The prophecy of dividing and scattering turned out to be a curse for Simeon. The tribe of Simeon was the weakest numerically, according to Numbers 26, 14. And then they shared an allotment inside the land with Judah. They didn't even have their own uh, territory that was surrounded by, the, no, they were inside of Judah itself. Simeon became small during the wilderness wanderings. They started out from Egypt being the third largest tribe with 59,300, Numbers 1, verse 23. 35 years later, they had 22,200, and they were the smallest tribe. I will divide them in Jacob, scatter them in Israel. The prophecy of dividing and scattering became a blessing for Levi. I want you to go over here to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to go in the book of Exodus next. And so I'll let you calculate in your head by the time we get here when that will be. So Moses goes up on the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. While he's up there, uh, a word gets to him that there's a lot of partying going on down below. Um, and so he comes down there and they're dance, dancing around a uh, golden calf, an idol that they made while he was away. Okay. And so in verse 19, it says, So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and dancing. So Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf, which they had made, burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Yeah. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin 
upon them. Now earlier, while they were gone, they kept going to, we don't know what happened to this guy Moses. So you need to make us a God that we can follow. And so it's Aaron that says, well, why don't you snap off all the earrings that you have and, uh, and, and, and we will, and with these fashion tools, we'll, we'll make this image. That wraps up this Friday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us again on Monday as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings, And on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service, and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Abiding in the Word of God.